Romans chapter 8, verses 10 through 17. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading again to fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Let's pray. Father, now we're going to look at your holy word, which is like a sword, sharp, two-edged, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, bone and marrow. And I ask that you would make it a surgical, life-giving word and not a killing word of souls, but a killing of sin. Grant that it would be met with faith and not unbelief and rebellion. Grant to that end that there would be understanding of what your word says. Help me to get it right and be faithful and balanced and have affections appropriate to its worth and beauty and seriousness. And would you come, Holy Spirit, and brood, as it were, over this congregation and banish Satan and all his influences from this room and lift the blinding scales that he has put upon minds and deceptions and discouragements that he has draped like wet, dark blankets over our hearts. So grant us liberty and light and love and joy and faith. Come, be our helper now, I pray, through Christ. Amen. Three weeks ago on this text, I promised a third message on how to kill sin. So this is how to kill sin, part three. And I take the title from verse 13. So if you have your Bibles open, let's focus in this larger text on verse 13. Romans 8. Verse 13, if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So I get the words from the text for the title, putting to death. If you are putting to death, and I just use the word kill instead of put to death. How to kill sin. If you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So... In order to have life, you must kill. Remember what John Owen said. 
Be killing sin or it will be killing you. You either die or you kill. You can't be passive about sin. You can't be indifferent to it. You can't say, I'll just coast here and God will take care of sin and I don't have to be engaged in murder here. You do. There is a very mean streak in Christianity. There is a very violent streak in Christianity. There is a very militant, cutting-edge streak in Christianity. And mark this, it isn't violence against people. It's violence against that in us which would make us violent against people. The mean streak isn't mean towards people, it's mean towards those impulses in me that would make me mean towards people. There is a mean streak in Christianity and his meanness turned on the impulses of my own meanness. My own lust, my own pride. My own impatience, my own bitterness, my own discouragements and despairs. We are a killing people, meaning we kill sin in us. In order that we might lay down our lives for others. We are not people who kill other people. We are people who commend Jesus, who lays down his life for lost people. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Lay down your life for other people. So hear me right. When I say there's a mean streak in Christianity, I mean we are killers. But we don't kill people. We attack sin. And here, before in children or spouses or colleagues or whatever else. We do not first point our finger at others. We point our fingers here and we deal here. And that consumes so much of our energy and efforts and spiritual warfare that there isn't much damnation left for anybody else. Notice it says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Now, we defined flesh in that sermon three weeks ago from verse 7 where it says, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So the flesh is not just skin. It's not mainly skin. It is who we are when we are acting out of hostility and insubordination and unbelief in God. Whatever you do, whatever you think, whatever you feel, whatever you say, out of disbelief, hostility, rebellion, insubordination to God, that's the flesh. And this text says, if you live according to that, if you give in and are shaped and determined by hostility and rebellion and rejection of God, you're flesh and you're going to die. And the alternative to that is to kill it. Strangle it. Cut off the blood supply. Pinch the artery that is feeding the deeds of the body. So when you put to death the deeds of the body, what that means is you you don't perform the deeds of the body which the impulses of sin are attempting to perform. You cut it off before they happen. You put them to death before they take place. 
Now, the question is, how? And we focused in near the end of that message on this one phrase, by the Spirit, verse 13. Notice the second half of verse 13. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So what does by the Spirit mean? This is very close to the heart of what it means to be a Christian. A Christian is a person who doesn't just put to death the deeds of the body. There are a lot of pagans who put to death deeds of the body. There are ascetics. There are people who starve themselves, who wear rough clothing, who stay out in the winter, snows, and perform acts of self-mutilation. I mean, there are loads of people who are busy putting to death deeds they don't like about themselves. Punish themselves and run forever and ever. Punish themselves with all kinds of exercises. Punish themselves with all kinds of diets. I mean, the world is filled with people putting to death the deeds of the body. But when you add the phrase, by the Spirit, you change everything. This is Christianity. Christianity is not a a moral self-improvement program. We don't just jump on bandwagons that the world says, oh, let's all fix our inner city neighborhoods, or let's all fix alcoholism, or let's all fix homelessness, or let's all fix bad marriages. And, And all of that is right and good in its aim. But it isn't Christian if there's no by the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. And so I want to know, what does that mean? How do you put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit? And what we said last time was that perhaps verse 5 is a clue as to what that would mean. And verse 5 says, those who are according to the flesh, or those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live or are according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So maybe setting the mind on the things of the Spirit is the way you put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. By the Spirit, do this. By setting your mind on the things of the Spirit. If that's a possible pointer, which I think it is, then the question becomes, what are the things of the Spirit? So if you're going to defeat sin in your life, you're going to choke off the flesh, take away its power, when it starts to tempt you to do wrong, think wrong, feel wrong, if Setting your mind on the things of the Spirit is one of the strategies for doing that. What are the things of the Spirit? And what we said in that sermon three weeks ago was that the answer is probably given in 1 Corinthians 2.14. You don't need to look this up. I'll just quote it for you. It says there, We speak not in words taught by human wisdom, Paul says, but in those taught by the Spirit. So words taught by the Spirit. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit. They are foolishness to him. So what are the things of the Spirit? That's the only other place in the New Testament where the phrase things of the Spirit is used. The exact phrase that Paul used in chapter 8, verse 5 of Romans. And the answer is, it's the words taught by the Holy Spirit to the Apostle Paul to teach to us in the New Testament. So now, if putting to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit means setting your mind on the things of the Spirit, 
Now we can say it is setting your mind on the Word of God. The apostolic voice inspired and kept for us now in the New Testament. Now, are we on the right track? I wonder if we're on the right track. Here, for me, was a great confirmation that we're on the right track. You remember the armor described in Ephesians chapter 6. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and world rulers of this present darkness and spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And then he starts listing them off, helmet, breastplate, belt, shoes. And there's only one of them. Only one with which you can kill. Namely, the sword of the Spirit. And it is the what? Word of God. Now I feel like, oh, I think we're on to something here. I think by going from 8.13, put to death the deeds of the body, kill the deeds of the body by the Spirit... Up to verse 5, set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Over to 1 Corinthians 2.14, the things of the Spirit are the inspired apostles' words, words, words. And now we go to 6.17 of Ephesians and we see that the sword of the Spirit is the word. And the sword is the one instrument with which you can kill. I think we're on to something here. And so if you were to ask me now... How do you put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit? I would say take your mind and set it firmly on the promises of God through Jesus Christ in His Word. So far, so good. That's where we've come to now in our struggle to answer this. The sword of the Spirit, the Word, becomes instrumental in killing sin when we set our minds upon it. But we haven't quite gotten the final practical link for how to put it together. Let me clarify before I give you that link what question we're trying to answer. Because until we get our questions clear, sometimes the answers remain fuzzy. The question is this. What can you do, you human person with a will, what can you do that engages the vigorous action of the spirit to kill sin in and for you? Now, I pose the question like that because there's a paradox in verse 13 of chapter 8 of Romans. The the paradox is this. The subject of the verb put to death is you. Right? He's addressing you and me. He says, if you put to death by the Spirit the deeds of the body, you will live. So you do it, Christian. Do this this afternoon. Do this when you sit down in front of your computer. Do this. When you're in a little bit of a feud or something at home today, do this. You do it. And then he says, but be careful. Be sure that you do it 
by another. The Spirit. Now notice, the Spirit is not a thing. It's not a weapon you can hold in your hand. The sword of the Spirit is, but not the Spirit. You don't hold the Spirit. He holds you. So, when it says, do it by the Spirit, it means, here's the paradox. Be sure you find a way to triumph over sin in such a way that it is the Spirit who is triumphing over the sin, not you. Now, there's the Christian life in all of its paradoxical strangeness. It separates it from everything in the world. Everything. The world's got no problem with the message put to death the deeds of the body. They're doing that all the time. And they might not have any problem with saying, there is such a thing as a spirit who does this or that in the world. But when you pull these two together and say, all right, Bethlehem and all you people, put to death the deeds of the body in such a way that the spirit is putting to death the deeds of the body. Now, I know we're on the right track here because it says in 1 Corinthians 15.10, By the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace toward me was not in vain, but I worked harder than any of them. Nevertheless, it was not I, but the grace of God which is with me. Oh, come on, Paul. Which is it? Did I work or didn't I work? And he won't. He won't unhang us on that paradox. He just leaves us hanging there. Because if he were to opt for one or the other, we'd either become legalists over here, I do it and I do it all, or we'd become so passive over here, we just stay our bed in the morning and say, God live my life today, and we never get out of bed. And he won't let us off the paradoxical hook. He says, be about this, Christian. You see sin in your life? Don't you wait around for the Holy Spirit to do something. Do something. And that's my question. What is it that I would do that wouldn't preempt the Holy Spirit? That wouldn't take over what he's supposed to do? What do I do? That when I do it, is the Holy Spirit's doing it? That's my question. So... Let's go for the remainder of this message to Galatians chapter 3 where the answer is given, I think. Galatians chapter 3 verse 5. This is, I believe, the closest thing you'll find in the New Testament to an answer. How do we so act such as to engage the vigorous sin-killing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? I'll read verse 5. Galatians 3 verse 5. Does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now that verse is answering the question, how does the Holy Spirit get supplied and miracle-working powerful in my life? How? How? And he gives you two options. One, you can try to make it happen by performing works of law. And the answer to that is, nope, nope, that's not the way. The second option is 
hearing with faith. Now, to, to capture the importance of that little phrase, ask this. Why didn't he just say, by faith? Why didn't he say, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by faith? Why didn't he say that? He didn't say that. He said, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing? The Spirit is supplied by hearing. The Spirit works miracles by hearing. That's important, folks. That's really important. With faith. So here's the link. If you were to press me to make sense out of this paradox and say, oh, come on, give us something we can really get a handle on here. Don't just leave us dangling out there with nonsense. I would say, if you want to so live such that it is the Spirit who is living when you live, hear and believe. And when you do, the Spirit is moving in your life with power. It's like plug and socket. The Word of God is the socket, and your faith is the plug. And if you want power, plug it in. Plug your faith not into your job. Plug your faith not into your mind. Plug your faith not into our president or our political system. Plug your faith into the promises of the living God, the Word. When, when you are battling with sin, you know what your first frontline act of warfare is? Listen! Listen! Hear something! Get something in your ear! And you know what? This just comes to my mind here to say there are a lot of people that are so depressed or so sick that they can't read the Bible for themselves. They can't punch a, a tape button for themselves. And you know what has to happen? You gotta be there for them. You gotta be down by the, by their ear in their last hour in the coma quoting scripture because I'll tell you they can hear you. Even if all they give you is a little flicker of an eyelid, they hear you. God grants to His saints comfort through the Word. And if they can't read it, sing it, say it, punch the button to hear it, be there for them. That's why the church exists. Who are you going to help die this year? Boy, I'll tell you, I have been sick enough in my life and in enough pain from time to time to know how the mind can simply shut down. And all the memorized scripture you've ever known, you cannot call to mind. And I want my wife, or maybe my grown daughter someday, to be down by my ear, just saying, the Lord is your shepherd. Lead you in paths of righteousness. I want somebody singing by my bedside. I want them talking to me. Because faith comes by hearing, 
and hearing by the word of God. And if the Holy Spirit's going to come and help us survive our doubts and our discouragements in the last hour, any other hour of temptation, it's going to be by the word. Hearing is the first line of battle. And then plugging in to what we hear with the plug faith. Let me sum up what I've said just so we can see whether I've, I've said too many things to confuse you. Let me try to boil it down for you and then say two things about it. What I've just said is that when you read Romans eight thirteen, if you put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit, you will live. By the Spirit now, I have taken to mean setting your mind on the things of the Spirit. I went over to 1 Corinthians and saw that means the Word of God. I went to Ephesians 2, 6, 17. I saw the sword of the Spirit by which you kill is the Word of God. And then we went to Galatians where it says, if you want the Holy Spirit to move in power in your life and defeat sin in your life and work miracles in your life, don't do works to try to impress God and earn things from God. Listen. Listen, listen, hearing with faith, hearing with faith, hearing with faith. Don't do a, an end run around hearing. Say, I'll just trust God. Vague, amorphous God. I trust you, God. Get his word. Get his word. Oh, this is my bread and butter, folks. I hope it's yours. I got on the plane Sunday night, Easter night, flew to Amsterdam Flew back to Manchester, got in a car, drove to Wales, and I was sick as a dog because of 18. He is risen! I hard, my throat was just <laughs> gone. I was coughing and coughing. I said, oh God, I gotta speak five times to these folks. Please give me a voice. And some of you were praying, and, but you know what? How do you fight that? What do you do on the plane, in the car, wondering, have they brought me all this way and I'm not going to be able to talk to them? Fear, doubt, discouragement. These are sins we're talking about here that need to be put to death. And God gave me. I, I, I held on to it the whole time because I was reading First Corinthians. He gave me. You are not lacking any spiritual gift while you are waiting for the revelation of Jesus Christ who will sustain you unto the end, guiltless in the day of Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ. And I saw faithfulness of God called fellowship with Jesus, sustaining grace, and one day, Guiltless. And I took that package and I ate it every hour and fought against the fear. And you know what happened? I coughed my way all the way through those 24 hours except when I was preaching. You can ask Jeff. He was with me. Hacking my way. I couldn't sing the songs with the people. I wanted to sing and I was mouthing it up there so they wouldn't think I was a jerk. (laughs) And when I got to the pulpit, no coughing. Except the last night, I just about lost it five minutes in because I I picked up the water. I said, let's just pray. Would you pray that my voice lasts? And it was okay for the rest of the time. I just give you the illustration of how I live my life. 
I go to the Bible. I don't go to a vague sense, God's out there somewhere and he's nice. I go to the Bible. I go to the Bible and I say, tell me something specific about yourself. I need something concrete and specific to hold on to in my mind and heart. And then I, I believe it. And that is the power of the Spirit. It's the Spirit that brought me to the Word. It's the Spirit that grants me understanding. It's the Spirit that gives me faith to lean on it. That is the Spirit. Okay, now I said I was going to tell you two things before the closing illustration. Got to make this compact here. First thing to say is this about what I just summed up. This way of living the Christian life, this way of putting sin to death, this way of growing in Christ-likeness is the same way you got saved. Now, the reason I point this out is this. There's so many people who think getting saved is, is one kind of transaction with God. And then long, you know, weeks, months, years later, you learn how to do the deep, mature thing. Eat meat, you know. It is not that way. You put to death the deeds of the body the same way you got right with God. If, is there an unbeliever here, I wonder? Surely there is. If you were to ask me right now, what do I have to do to get right with God, be saved so that I go to heaven, don't go to hell, God is on my side and I'm not against him. What do I have to do here? I'd say, hear a promise and believe it. Like everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. There's a good promise. Believe it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever in this room right now believes will not perish but have everlasting life. Hear it, hear it, and believe. That's the way you get saved. Now, if you were to ask me, okay, we'll put all that simple, you know, baby milk stuff behind. Now give us some meat to kill sin with. I'd say, here's how you kill sin. Listen to a promise and believe it. What's your temptation this afternoon? Anxiety? You like me? You got back my tax forms? The guy, I paid 300 bucks to have this guy do this? I wouldn't dare tell you what I owe Uncle Sam right now. I'm so financially discouraged right now about that stupid tax form. Just wipes out a bunch of plans we had. and I said, Where did, How did I estimate so wrong? So, if that's, if that's your temptation, like it is mine right now, what do you do? You go to Philippians 4.19. You don't go to a vague, nice God out there. You go to Philippians 4.19. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. And you believe it. And you sleep like a baby. So, you, you live your Christian life just the same way you got saved. There's no graduation to some big graduate school course where you learn to eat meat around here and you'd ever leave behind hearing promises and believing them. The second thing I wanted to point out was this glorifies Jesus to live your life this way. Now, that's real important because I believe God created everybody in this room according to Philippians 4, I mean, uh, 1, 19, and Isaiah 43, 7, he created every one of you to make much of Jesus and magnify Jesus. You are on planet Earth to make Jesus look good. If you, if you wonder why you're here, 
why you're male or female or young or old or short or tall or fat or thin or blonde or black or bald or whatever. The reason you are all those things is to make Jesus look good. And believe me, you are designed in a way that only you can make him look good. If you will trust him and lean on him. Now, if that's the case, if we are here on planet Earth to make Jesus look glorious, good, magnified, great, what I have just pointed you to in Galatians 3.5 becomes incredibly significant in how you do that. Because, ask yourself this question. Why didn't the Bible just teach me to defeat sin by asking the Holy Spirit to do it? Why isn't prayer the be-all and end-all of this battle? So here comes a temptation to either feel discouraged about finances or to feel fearful because you're sick or to feel proud because you did something right. Why at that moment isn't the way of killing that simply say, Holy Spirit, I ask you to come now and defeat the sin of my life. Amen. And it's done. Ask and you will receive, right? Wrong. Why? Jesus gets no glory if you do it that way. The reason it says in Galatians 3.5 that the Holy Spirit is supplied and becomes miracle working in power by hearing with faith is because if you left out the hearing dimension, namely hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ... And the promises that he bought for you by his blood, if Jesus doesn't get the credit for those promises that you're laying hold of, then he won't get any glory. He's just out of the equation. And you might now and then think, well, theologically, I guess he's the foundation of everything. Well, you know what? Foundations in your house get no attention. You don't go through the day saying, I'm so thankful that I have a 12-course basement. I love those cement blocks. They're so pretty. You don't even think about the foundation in your house. So to say every now and then, Jesus is the foundation of everything, so what? He gets no glory if you never talk about it, you never sing about it, you never, you never bank on his blood to buy for you. The promises, do you remember what? 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, All the promises of God are yes in Jesus. What that means is, when you live your Christian life by picking a promise, banking on it, plugging in, faith goes into the Word of God. You know who bought this for you? Jesus. We're sinners. I'm a sinner. I don't deserve any promise of God fulfilled in my life. How can I count on the promises of God being fulfilled in my life? One thing. Christ died for me. Christ bought every promise for John Piper. This is the new covenant. Christ shed his blood so that I can pick anywhere in the Bible and say, I'll take that promise for today. I'll help you. I'll strengthen you. I'll hold you up with my victorious right hand. I'll fight for you. I'll supply your needs. I can pick that promise. Why? Because I'm, I'm deserving? No way. Because Jesus is deserving, and I trust Jesus, and he gives it to me. So that's the second thing to observe. And let me close now with a couple of illustrations. We got three missionary families that have gone out from this church 
who are walking through the darkest waters of eviction from Tanzania this very moment that we've ever had. And put yourself in their shoes right now. Let me read from Denise Billhorns. There's the Billhorns, the Rasmussens, and the Andersons. They've all ministered for years and years in Tanzania. They've been given a 30-day notice out of here with all your families and all your belongings. It's the only home their children have ever known. Denise wrote us last Easter, and she wrote it. We got it on Easter, and she wrote the email the night before Easter, and this is what she said. She's picturing the disciples between Good Friday and Easter. They are sitting quietly and numbly at someone's house, and they don't know about the resurrection that is to come. That's what this time feels like to us in many ways, darkness, an unknown future, out of the blue, we're packing up and leaving the country, our home for the last seven years, the only home our children have known. Now, ask yourself, what are the sins threatening here? Here are the ones I thought of. Anger, despair, self-pity, fear, impatience, irritability. Those are a few sins that would threaten to rise up in the Bill Horns and the Andersons and the Rasmussens right now. Now listen to this warrior, Denise, in her email as an embodiment of this sermon. We are clinging to these truths. Do you hear it? Do you hear it? We are clinging to truth. No vague notion of a God out there somewhere who's nice. We are clinging to particular truths. We are clinging to these truths. God is good. He is in control. He loves us more than we can comprehend. He has plans to give us a hope and a future. Plans to prosper us. Sound familiar? Our spirits are understandably low. We are emotionally and physically exhausted. But, all caps... Because the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. And thus she puts to death the deeds of the body. One more illustration. Rich and Tricia Dilworth were here for several years until they left last year to go to Africa with three small children. They worked with refugees in the community, learning language and so on. They're going to a country that is so fragile, so hostile that they can't name it. And imagine three small children, young couple, going to a destitute land with no infrastructure, a religion that is hostile to Christianity. What kinds of Things would arise in your mind as you make such an obedient plan. Let me quote from his letter. This is the February newsletter that I got. It's one of the most powerful applications of this message in a missionary letter. And I've read many, and all our missionaries get this, I think, and they weave it into their letters. But this one was remarkable. Whereas the constitution of this country may state one thing, The word of God says, the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. Where fear says, what if blank happens? Faith says, do not fear, for I am with you. 
Do not be dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. When worry surfaces, faith responds, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. When doubt and frustration scoff saying, they'll never change. This is a waste of time. Jesus looks us in the eye and responds, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. We need to become the kind of people who, when we're walking across a bridge or walking between offices or walking into a classroom, young people are nervous about some test or something, where you're, where you're walking down the hall and you wonder, yikes, did I wear the wrong color today or whatever? Am I going to be viewed funny? If you believe he's right here, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And he says, all things are possible with me. Trust me. I love you. I will take care of you. I'll supply all your needs. I like you. I died for you. I have counted you righteous. I mean, would not you become a free person? It's failing to hear specific Christ-spoken promises moment by moment through the day that lets us sink so badly. So, I close. Learn from our missionaries. Learn from the Apostle Paul. Put to death the deeds of the body. Put to death the flesh. Put to death sin. By the Spirit. That is, by setting your mind on the things of the Spirit. That is, on the Word of God. Hearing with faith and trust them. And in this way, peace will come. The Holy Spirit will flow. Power will be given, sins will be slain, Satan will be pushed back, and Jesus Christ, who bought all those promises, will be magnified.